Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. Okay, so the proper response to when someone says Christ is risen is you... Yeah, he is risen indeed. So once more, Christ is risen. Amen. And so we are here to talk about the resurrection, actually for this whole month. And today we're going to talk about the uh, historical resurrection, the, the historical facts and the importance of believing that Jesus rose from the dead in the way the Bible uh, tells us. We're going to begin with the account in Matthew on the very first Easter Sunday morning uh, in Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, the Sabbath is the seventh day or Saturday, as the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday. And this is why Christians celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. We meet together to uh, worship Christ, the risen King. So every time we meet on a Sunday morning, we're celebrating the resurrection as they did when they discovered the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy. I like that. <clears throat> that this combination of fear, awe, I mean, think of it. Uh, going to a cemetery early in the morning, expecting to grieve and finding the tomb empty and the angel glowing brilliant there and all the Roman soldiers lying on the ground. You'd be terrified too. But also the joy. What does this mean? The expectation. How could this be? What now? I mean, can you imagine the emotions that were swirling through these two women as they were carrying the news of the resurrection? And they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. And he said, this is the first word of the risen king. Rejoice! What an appropriate greeting. Rejoice! They came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Christianity depends on this story being true. All right. The whole of Christianity is built on this. The gospel is unlike other religions. It's not merely a philosophy of life or a system of morality or ethics. It includes those things, but it's not built on those things. 
Christianity is based on the historical facts of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of a man called Jesus, who is the Christ. Fully man, fully God, actually lived on this earth, actually died, actually rose again. One author puts it this way. Unlike mythology, the Bible is written as history. Luke wrote his gospel as an account, and this is actually a quote from uh, the part in Luke, an account of the things that have been been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses. Luke's claims that he had carefully investigated everything from the beginning and so wrote an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. Did Luke include miracles in his account and the resurrection? Yes, many of them. They were miracles verified by eyewitnesses. And those eyewitnesses were still available to be interviewed and talked to when it was written. 2,000 years later, a skeptic might call Luke's account a myth, but the burden of proof rests with the skeptics. In other words, it was uh, declared to be a historical record. It was received as such in its day. It was written in that, in that way and accepted that way for centuries. And so now if we, we want to reject that, we've got to prove why it's not uh, uh, trustworthy. The account itself is a carefully investigated historical document. And the New Testament as a whole is filled with eyewitness accounts of the resurrections. We see the Gospels now when we read them as Scripture, all right? When we read the Bible, you know, how many other books do you buy that's, well, if you still buy books, <laughs> you know, that comes with a leather cover, you know, and a, a book ribbon or two, if you're lucky, Right? It's a special book. But when, these, when the Gospels were written, they were simply the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, records for the generations to come and for the people who hadn't seen it to know what had occurred. They were not written as Scripture. They were written as records of what actually happened so that people got it right. And then the early church and throughout the centuries, the church has defended the historical accuracy that is contained in Scripture. We base our beliefs on this, regardless of the attacks that this book has suffered and the attacks against Christianity. We stand and say, the church is not perfect. Listen, we don't put our faith in the church. (laughs) Okay, right? The church will fail you. The church is just people like you struggling to figure it out and live as best as we can according to the perfect record that we see recorded in Christ's life. But this is a record we can have confidence in, and it's endured all the centuries. And whole countries and nations that have devoted themselves to rid the influence of the Bible have fallen. The Soviet Union is a classic example 
just read a story recently in the last week or two or, uh, of a man who actually uh, lived during the early Soviet era, and he told a story of uh, witnessing as a child the priest being taken, take, the Orthodox priest under the early Soviet regime, their goal was to eliminate Christianity to be the first fully atheistic nation. And uh, they would take the priest and make them, uh, they they yoked them together and had them pull a a sled uh, for miles and miles and miles until they were completely exhausted. And then they'd line them up uh, in this exhausted state and said, you know, renounce your faith or die, and each one of them uh, died instead of renouncing their faith. And and you know, the Soviet Union only lasted 70 years. <laughs> 70 years! And it fell. The Berlin Wall came down, and the church was, was alive and vibrant. Same with China. Uh, uh, it's estimated that there may already be, if not, there certainly will be soon, more Christians in China than the rest of the world combined. Even though for years and years the state of China was fully anti-Christ, it has changed. It depends on the, I know people that minister in China, and so it depends on the region of China now. Some regions are still a uh, still uh, very, very anti-church, anti-Christ. Other regions are actually very, very uh, uh, um, uh, allowing Christianity, the practice, and even uh, the non-official church. So the church remains, all right? Our faith is in the resurrection, and the church are people like you and I that believe it and uh, uh, see it change our lives. Continuing on. Paul lists eyewitness accounts in his writings in 1 Corinthians. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. So this is the gospel by which you are also saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, Uh, whom the greater part remain to the present. In other words, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinthians, he says, that group of 500 people, you can track them down and ask them. All right? But some have fallen asleep, passed away. Uh, After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of time. So Paul's writing, Paul's conversion was based on that personal experience of a, a risen Christ. And I love how this passage gives a summary of the gospel that Christ preached. He died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Saints, that's the message that changed the world. And continues to change the world is that Christ died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. The very existence of the church, I believe, is a significant proof in and of itself. The resurrection turned that small, fearful group of Jesus' followers, you can read about it, 
uh, that they were hiding in the upper room praying. They feared that if uh, the uh, religious leaders and the Roman government were able to arrest and crucify Jesus, their Lord, who they'd seen do all of those mighty miracles and incredible works. I mean, he walked on water. Why couldn't he have escaped? And if they did that to him, they were afraid they were next. And so they were, you know, they were all in one room and one accord praying because they were scared. (laughs) They were like, oh God, oh God, oh God. They didn't know what to do. And it turned that fearful group of disciples into the leaders of the church who through the book of Acts we see them it's said in one place uh, their enemies said that they've turned the world upside down wherever they went and preached that gospel Jesus died Jesus was buried Jesus rose again it turns the world upside down I I would prefer to say it turns it right side up Right, because it's been upside down since sin entered the world. The best efforts of the Jewish leaders in the Roman Empire couldn't stop that simple message of Christ's resurrection. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, simply finding and displaying his dead body would have quickly ended the whole ordeal. But it never happened because Jesus was risen indeed. All right, they were. They tried everything to end what we call the church, but they couldn't. Not only did Christ rise, but He appeared and He began uh, to change lives. And then the church, in the power of Christ, began to do the same miracles and preach the same message of truth that Jesus was doing. And so it actually expanded exponentially. The apostles lived and were well known through those early years the church grew. And all of them, except John, were martyred for their faith in the resurrection. And I say this because if this wasn't factually true, it could have easily been proven untrue by the uh, authorities uh, arresting them and and getting to the, the, the facts. But the fact was the body wasn't there. All right, and from then on, we read accounts of Jesus walking through walls, right, and just appearing and disappearing. You know, Christ had uh, risen and was no longer bound. In addition to the uh, uh, apostles being martyred, countless others were martyred for their belief in the resurrection. Listen, you're not going to give your life for a made-up story. All right? Yet these people gave their life defending the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. That was the point that they they couldn't give in. The very fact that the church survived that. And within several hundred years, the Roman Empire, which at that time was the most powerful uh, force the world had ever seen, uh, actually yielded to the influence of the church and recognized it when, when um, uh, Alexander became a believer in 300 and some AD and became a Christian and recognized Christianity as a legitimate uh, 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 religion. And from that time on, uh, you know, Christianity continued to spread. So now a third of the population of the planet 
over 2.3, almost 2.5 billion people, and that's a conservative estimate, are Christ followers. Wow. Listen, that's a miracle. Jesus, he never even wrote a book. Think of it. It's just this guy who spoke truth and lived truth. But then he died. The real thing, lots of people spoke truth. Lots of people have lived good lives. How could this one man from a backwater country 2,000 years ago transform the very uh, 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 trajectory of the human race? It's because he rose from the dead. And in doing so, demonstrated his strength over the one thing everyone has to deal with, and that's death. Paul explains the importance of the resurrection in his writing to the church in Corinth. He says, says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses or liars, false witnesses of God, because we have testified that God has raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. So he's, Paul is answering this heresy that uh, there is no resurrection. He's, he's writing back, wait a minute, guys, this is the foundation of our faith. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sin. Then all who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Every Christian should memorize that verse. Because if you're placing your hope in Christianity to get all of the benefits in this life before your death and resurrection, guess what? You're just to be pitied. Like That's a sorry existence. Are you hearing me? Now, God wants us to have a wonderful life. He wants us to live in blessings. But the call to Christianity is the call to follow Christ. As as Mary Lee said, to obey Christ. And when we follow Christ and we look at Christ's life, Christ's life led to suffering. Led to the betrayal. All of his friends left him. And ended with him being nailed to the cross and buried in a grave. The preaching of the gospel often includes suffering. Yet we have the hope of resurrection. We do it in that confident expectation that this is not the end. Right, so this, this phrase, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men to be most pitied, most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. So this changes everything. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, in other words, through a natural descendancy, through our, the human race, we all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. 
but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. The resurrection we celebrate today is not some spiritual ideal or some mythical or ethical principle of rebirth or new beginning. They say this because many Christians don't don't understand the distinction. You get caught up and you you listen to uh, uh, platitudes rather than a real uh, truth. Okay? It's not about some theoretical new birth or new opportunity to start over at life. It is that, but it's far more than that. It's a memorial. Easter, the resurrection, is a celebration and a memorial to the dead body of Jesus lying in a tomb about 2,000 years ago, being transformed into an immortal, risen Lord and Savior testifying to his victory over sin and death. In other words, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, the fact that 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 stone was rolled away, and if the angel hadn't done it, Jesus could have done it or just walked through it. (laughs) Stone was rolled away not for Jesus' sake, but for Mary's sake and for Peter and John when they later came and inspected the tomb. Jesus was already gone. Right? And so Easter, the resurrection, and the message of Christianity is that there is an actual resurrection. The dead come back to life and are given a new body to live forever. Resurrection is not resuscitation. Okay, if somebody dies... And the doctors have the, they get there quick enough and revive them. That's a resuscitation, not a resurrection. They'll die again. Or if, uh, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, he wasn't resurrected. He was resuscitated. You know why? Because he died. It's like, I don't know if that was a good thing. So you mean I got to do it again? (laughs) I've told my family, you know, if I die and you pray me back to life, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) If I get out of here, you get to heaven, I don't want to come back. Okay. And we need to, so I, I, I dislike when people say, oh, they prayed and the, and, the, and the girl was resurrected. I'm like, no, they weren't. They were resuscitated. And I know I actually met a man who was dead and was prayed back to life. Okay, it happens uh, fairly regularly in certain parts of the world, uh, Africa especially and other parts. <clears throat> um, but they're resuscitated. They're going to die again. But that's not what happened to Jesus. And that's not what we declare. Explained in uh, Romans uh, that Jesus lives never to die again. It says, if, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Listen, death has dominion. It has power 
It has control. Death is the last enemy. You know this. It's in the Bible. It's in Corinthians, actually. That at the, in the end, when Christ returns, the last enemy will be defeated, and that's death. That's why we still have to die. But there will be a day when death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. All right? When Christ establishes the final victory, and no more will anyone die. Jesus demonstrated his ability to conquer death in his resurrection. And we live in the hope and expectation of joining him in that resurrection. Never to die again. Explains it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, so is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which is a reference to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spirit. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And was the man, uh, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's you and I. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. So if we follow Christ the spirit of Christ, which raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us, we also shall live in newness of life. It's written in another place. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So there's this this thing that has to overcome. We can't get to heaven in flesh and blood bodies. We have to experience the transformation. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed hallelujah for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
The whole of Christianity rests on the truth of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we live in hope and expectation that this mortal, corruptible, weak, failing body that we are temporarily inhabiting will be uh, renewed and be given, we will be given a new, redeemed, resurrected body that is incorruptible, immortal, filled with power, and that we can live in Christ's presence, that we can be fully in the kingdom of God eternally with him. That's good news. That's the gospel. (laughs) Come on, get excited about it. Somebody say amen. So what does this mean for you and I in 2021? Do we really believe this? So I came across this statistic. I don't know how true it is, but um, those who study these things say that people consume an average of three to five hours a day getting information from these little devices. Anybody have one of these? You know, there's constant input here. All right. Whether it's your phone, your TV, the things you listen to in those little earpieces. <laughs> Constant bombarding of information. And listen, there is nothing that comes across a screen or audio that doesn't have a message. Okay? Nothing. There's always an, a deeper message. I'm not being conspiratorial. It's just being like, you know, it's like when you watch cartoons as a, when you're a kid, right? And you liked them on a dip, one level, but then you watch them as an adult and you go, oh, wow. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of adult jokes in this. <laughs> you know, because they were written by adults. And, and so they're communicating this message that the, the children don't get. You know, but it's implanted in their minds. So what if you're watching a movie, watching a TV show, you listen to music? There's like the, the surface level meeting, and then there's the deeper meeting that is, is a manifestation of the, the beliefs and the, the worldview of the uh, creators of that media, whatever it may be. And you need to be careful. Because if you're giving yourself hours and hours and hours every day to the influence of media and, 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 and input that is created by people who care less or don't even believe at all in the message of the gospel and the truths that we learn in Scripture, and you think you're not influenced by that? And you read your Bible for five or ten minutes, maybe most days. And you come to a church if you're a good Christian and listen to a 30 or 35 minute message once a week, some weeks out of the month. We have we got to be careful of the balance of the influence here. You hear what I'm saying? Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Does that saturate? everything you think and do. 
Is that, is that more powerful than the influence of the world coming at you? I believe because I've seen the evidence of changed life, starting with my own. By that simple message, Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. I believe because of the testimony of the billions and billions of Christians who have lived over the centuries and live today confessing their faith and believing, basing their lives on this message. I believe believe because the message of the Bible has endured all those centuries of persecution and continues a a, a message, a story thousands of years old continues to have relevance and power to change lives in our day. Based on this belief, the Bible says we are to be steadfast, immovable. That means when that onslaught of information and opinion comes at us from the enemy, you know what? We can stand against it. Why? Because that tomb was empty. Jesus is Lord, and he's coming back, and I want to be on his side when he gets here. The message says, stand your ground, don't hold back. All right, because of the resurrection, our whole world system, the work of the enemy, even our own flesh wants us to deny the reality of the resurrection. But like the early disciples, we can't. We can't deny it. It's changed changed our lives. It's changed our world. And it says that we are to always abound in the work of the Lord. I love how Paul concludes that message. God puts this very practical Statement in at the end of that that uh, magnificent uh, declaration of victory over death. He says, okay, what this means is that you need uh, to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Belief in the resurrection should not result, I'm sorry, belief in the resurrection should result not only in internal faith, in other words, I've been convinced of something, but also in an abundance of work and labor. In other words, you should be doing something. All right? Should be evidenced in your life. In the same way the resurrection changed the apostles, Paul, the apostles' lives, Paul's lives, the early church into disciple-making machine, into society changers, we must put our hand to the plow and not turn back. We're now to represent Jesus and the power of his resurrection to those around us by displaying his love, his truth, his compassion, his mercy, his justice. We need to live resurrected lives demonstrating Christ's character in this community, in this society that desperately needs to see it. So I challenge you, I charge you to live believing wholeheartedly in his resurrection.